So turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Philippians 2, and uh, it's uh, 1 to 11. It'll come up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that is, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Lord, these are amazing words and they challenge us as we read. I pray now, Lord, it would be the challenge of your Holy Spirit that works in each heart, in every life here, and works through Tim speaking to us. As you speak into our hearts with the power of the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to jump in, uh, as Judy has said, to this uh, the next in a series called Jesus the Game Changer. Uh, and if you've been along for the last little while, um, you'll know that we've been doing this because uh, we're in an interesting time at our nation, in our history at the moment. Julian Barnes famously said, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. A really good synopsis of our society at the moment that many of us and many of our institutions and many, much of the thinking is trying to distance ourselves from God and from our Christian heritage, saying we, we, we now are moving to being a secular nation and we, 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 we don't want much of that. And yet, and yet, both inside the walls of the church and beyond, many people are also saying in the same breath there is something missing, something wrong, something aching within us that we may not believe in God, but we miss him. Great, great quote. And this series is trying to remind us all that there are Christian foundations and a Christian framework for our society uh, that we would be cautious in dismissing. It may be that we've been like having a tattoo on our arm saying, I love Jane. The only problem is we left Jane years ago. And we want to get rid of that, but only by, we, the only way we can do it is by actually getting rid of a bit of ourselves. And the caution is that as we try to distance ourselves in our national kind of framework, actually, we may be getting rid of far more than we ever realize. 
that we may be losing something of who we are. Because most of our, much of our foundations, much of our framework as a society are rooted in who Jesus is and what he did. And then how the church then lived that out and impacted society. And today we're going to focus, as we've been thinking, on the whole subject of democracy. Democracy. And to kind of whet your appetite this morning, we're going to give out some free money. Okay? We're going to give everybody some money this morning. And so there's some baskets that are going to come around, if they could come around now. And we'd love it as they come around for you to take a coin. This is genuine sterling. So this is yours. We're giving you free money today. Would you, as these come around, take one of these one penny pieces? <laughs> and what we'd love you to, this is yours for you to keep. But to, as the basket comes around, to look carefully at the one penny coin and you'll see on the back these initials that are highlighted D-G-R-E-G-F-D what I'd love you to do is to talk to your person next to you say hi if you've not met them and ask what do you think those initials stand for what do they mean alright so just chat whilst, you're, whilst the coins are coming to you what do those initials mean on our coins do you think okay well just as the coins are coming around for you uh, this is yours to keep so you know go treat yourself have a night in the town. Anyone got the faintest idea what those initials stand for? Anyone? Okay, Rick, why don't you suggest what you think it is? Brilliant, so it must be that, absolutely. Okay, and the rest? There you go. Revealing a classical education there. They stand for Dei Gratia Regina Fidea Defensor, which means... Elizabeth II, by the grace of God, queen and defender of the faith. With that same person then, just briefly, ask each other, what do you think is important about this? That that is on our coins. What's important? Uh, what strikes you as being important that that is on our coins? Just with the person next to you for another 30 seconds. Do carry those conversations on a little bit later over a cup of coffee. But it strikes me that what's quite important about those is that it's a recognition that right at the very center of our existence as a nation, even the money we make, the way we operate, is a recognition that there is a higher power, a higher authority, even than the queen, who might have something to say about the way we do business and the way we operate as a nation. Yes, we have a monarchy and we have a political system, a democratic party, parliament that works alongside that monarchy, that begins every day, even today, with a prayer. This has happened for 500 years. This is the current prayer that is prayed every day in our parliament. Lord, the God of righteousness and truth, grant to our Queen and her government, to members of Parliament and all in positions of responsibility, the guidance of your spirit. May they never lead the nation wrongly through love of power, desire to please, or unworthy ideals, but laying aside all private interests and prejudices, keep in mind their responsibility to seek to improve the condition of all mankind. So may your kingdom come and your name be hallowed. Amen. 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 
So like it or not, whether you would call yourself a Christian or not, whether you understand much about this Jesus or not, the Christian faith is still right at the center of how we operate as a nation. In our money, in our government, in the very fabric of how we operate. And therefore it's no coincidence that right next to Westminster is also Westminster Abbey. That there has right throughout history been this relationship between the Christian faith and the church and the way we operate as a society and a country. Now it's worth saying before you lynch me afterwards that that relationship between the church and the state has had some very dodgy moments. Whatever your political persuasion, whichever way you vote, there have been times in which the alliance between the church and state have been very questionable to say the least. In which the church through the government has been coercive, forcing people to do things. And I would argue, and we can have this discussion later if you want, that wherever Christianity is seen as being coercive and forcing people to do things, we lose something of the very foundations of our faith. We depart from authentic Christianity. And we would do well to remember this, particularly for those of us who look back with sort of rose-tinted glasses at our so-called Christian nation of the past. Sometimes we may be more authentic in following Christ when we are radically different from the culture we're in, not when the culture seems to sing the same tune. But notwithstanding all of that, Jesus modeled something in his life, taught things in his life, and then the church has lived that out in some faltering way sometimes that lies at the very bedrock at democracy. So whether you're here this morning and you would say, yes, I know Jesus, I follow Jesus, or whether you're just asking questions, this Jesus person is a big deal for our nation and for the Western world. And so therefore he's at least worth investigating. Because like it or not, whether you've spent much time thinking about him or not, he impacts every day the way you live. And so this morning I'm gonna ask two very simple questions. And the first is this. Why are we thinking about this in Sunday morning in church? You might be thinking, Tim, I do all I can to get away from politics, so I come to church. You may be interested or you may not be. Why are we doing this? Why is this important? And there's a couple of reasons for this. And the first is this. Dorothy Sayers famously said, how can anyone remain interested in a religion which seems to have no concern with nine-tenths of your life? If Christianity or church is just about Sunday mornings, well then we might as well just leave it away, leave it aside. And one of the criticisms that is sometimes leveled at kind of our expression of Christianity in churches similar to kind of our, uh, the way we might do things is that we make it all about me and Jesus. And I sing songs about how much Jesus loves me and isn't it lovely? The author Ian Banks, an atheist who died a couple of years ago, said that the reason he struggled with Christianity is because of its apparent self-centeredness that he saw in the church. He said, the idea that at all costs, no matter what, it always has to be about you. Well, I think not. The authentic biblical faith, I would argue, has much to say about much wider issues than just me. 
even into the very fabric of our society. So it's important for us to think about such things from time to time. Uh, But secondly, the reason we're thinking about it, the reason it's important to do, is because Christianity is right at its core a public faith, not a private one. At the very center of the Christian gospel is a public event. Jesus dying in public and then rising back from the dead in public. It's a historical claim rather than just teaching, inviting us to assess, do we think it happened? If it did, everything changes. If it didn't, we can walk away. So it's public, which is why in the Bible there's so much written about what the witnesses saw and about claims of what Jesus actually did and people that were there and so on. We live in a society that's so often trying to make faith private. It's fine for you to believe that at home, but don't bring it to work with you. Or don't bring it into the public sphere. And apart from sort of the obvious silliness of that, because of course we can't separate what we believe from who we are, so whenever I go anywhere I take with me what I believe, yes we can govern how we operate that and use that, but actually it's who I am. But it also forgets that much of our Western fabric is founded on the life, the death, the teaching, the resurrection of Jesus and the way the church has lived that out. So it is important to think about it. That's why we're doing it. It may not make us feel fantastic about Jesus, but my hope and prayer is there may come times and even with some of the questions that are being raised right now in our world, Some of these issues are way more important than we ever imagine. The second question is this, where we spend the most of the rest of our time. If that's true, Tim, if it's important for us to think about it, well, how on earth does Jesus relate to democracy? How on earth does Jesus speak into it? Because Jesus didn't actually say anything about democracy. He didn't try and establish a better voting system because, of course, the world in which he taught these things were not... It was not similar to ours, and that's why we now live in the light of that. But this reading that Judy has read to us, I think summarizes some things about Jesus that we would do well to reflect on our democracy. Summed up by this key verse, a little snapshot of the way the earliest Christians saw Jesus and then called us to have the same mindset as Jesus Christ who being in very nature God didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. So there's three key words that we're gonna look at. Three key words, perspectives that we can apply to democracy from this passage. And the first is this. Jesus lived a life of profound humility. He was God, says Paul, but he didn't use it to his own advantage. I don't know if you heard the joke that did the rounds a couple of years ago when David, Prime, David Cameron was still Prime Minister. I love it. The joke goes like this. God summons the leaders of America, China, and Great Britain before him. And he tells them that the world's soon going to end and they must prepare their people. So Barack Obama goes on TV and says, my fellow Americans, I have good news and bad news. The good news is we were right about the existence of God. The bad news is the world is about to end. 
Then the Chinese Premier Xi Jinping tells the Chinese people, I have bad news and worse news. <laughs> the bad news is we were wrong about the existence of God. And the even worse news is the world's about to end. Finally, David Cameron goes on the air. I've got great news, he says. God thinks I'm one of the three most important people in the world. <laughs> And the startling reality is, of course, we associate politics with self-centeredness. We look to political figures we could all name and think that they think it's all about them. And whether that is true or not, it seems that this whole virtue of humility is sometimes so absent from our democracy and yet it forms the bedrock of it because Jesus modeled it. And what does Paul say to these early Christians? Do nothing out of selfish ambition, verse three, or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves. This is radical that Jesus willingly, humbly stooped down and put others before him. Put others above himself. And of course, when we think about our politics and our democracy, that's why we have it. Because we know we ain't all that. And my way may not be the best way. And so if there's just one person that can always dictate what the society does, well, that one person may be very wrong. Now, of course, in a democracy, everybody can be very wrong, but at least everybody's had a say. Hence the reason some people say it's the least worst system. Genesis chapter one, right at the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis reminds us that all are made in God's image, male and female. Everybody has an inherent value and dignity to them. Regardless of who you are, regardless of your background, your education, your wealth, regardless of what you contribute to society or not, regardless of what you do, you are valuable because you are made in God's image. And because of that, there's an equality, which means everybody should have a say. That forms the very foundations of a democracy, demos, the rule of the people. And because of that humility, and we recognize that we ain't all that, and that actually I'm no better than Joe Bloggs down the street, and no worse than Joe Bloggs down the street, it means that when we point our fingers at people, we realize we've got three fingers pointing right back at us. And Jesus giving himself, the God of heaven, giving himself for us, showing that we really needed a savior, not just a self-help trainer, we needed rescue because that's the situation we were in. It reminds us that always our first direction of thought is inward to repentance, not outward to critique. And so let me ask you a question that I've been asking myself. When I look at, say, the American election and I cast scorn on candidates and what they have done or what they're thought to have done. 
Deep down, do I really find the same prejudice in my own heart? It may be to different people. Deep down, do I find the same desires in my own heart that may not have been lived out in the same way? But actually, do I look at others and criticize before actually sometimes taking a close look at myself? Humility. The reason we can be humble is because Jesus humbled himself for us. The God of the heavens sacrificing his all for us because we needed help. Humility. It's the first thing. But therefore, what does humility look like in practice? What does it actually lead to? And here comes the second word, service. What does it look like to value others above yourselves? Well, Jesus modeled it, didn't he? He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. French philosopher Alexander de Tocqueville said that for democracy to work, it had to have enough people willing to do the right thing when no one was watching. It's a great quote. Am I willing to self-sacrifice on behalf of others, even if it costs me? What about our political leaders? As that prayer that's prayed every day in Parliament says, they're not necessarily always known for putting their own needs second to the needs of the people. But of course, again, am I quick to criticize leaders for seemingly trying to get up the career ladder in democracy in Parliament? And actually, I'm doing the same thing myself. So Jesus acted with humility and it led to him serving. That brilliant picture in the Gospels of stooping to wash the disciples' feet, even the one that was going to betray him. And I guess the question for us is, are we willing to serve our nation? Are we praying for the politicians that we're criticizing? Are we praying for the American election, not just that my will be done, but that thy will be done? Do we read the headlines this weekend about the issues that our society faces? And do we pray? There are big things happening at the moment in our world. But finally, the third word is this. Jesus humbled himself, he served, but ultimately he's Lord. The end of that passage that was read is profound. In the light of Jesus dying for us, therefore, verse nine, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. This radical perspective means, yes, we humble ourselves before others and we treat them with equality. Yes, we, we serve with self-sacrificial, putting others' needs before our own. But ultimately, Jesus is Lord. A few years ago, I had the privilege of being involved in some work in West Africa where we were doing some work with some street kids and they taught us a rap I'm not gonna rap for you this morning, but do try it at home in the shower if you'd like, it does work. In which the kids rapped these words. You can imagine the beat. Jesus is the president, I the resident. It's a great line, reminding them that whatever our political system, that ultimately Jesus is king. 
If we are humble, if we serve, the final responsibility we have is to be citizens of not of the United Kingdom, but of Christ's kingdom. Citizens of heaven. Jesus is Lord. And this allegiance means that first and foremost we put him and his way first. And a great summary of this is in the life of one man, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't know if you've heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a theologian and a pastor in 1930s in Germany, Nazi Germany. And because he was a Christian, he knew that he couldn't just sit back and watch this stuff happening from a distance. That he needed to do something that by proclaiming Jesus is Lord, it meant he had to put legs on those words. And it led him to stand up against Hitler and face his own personal kind of oppression as a result. Actually, interestingly, controversially, it actually led him to be involved in some plots to assassinate Hitler. Regardless of what we do with that, what is clear, he was a man who knew that because Jesus is Lord, he couldn't just sit back in his armchair. And that led to him being killed. So as we come to a close, what does it mean for us to say Jesus is Lord? Standing up for the oppressed, for injustice, even against the political or cultural direction of our day. A couple of years ago, somebody asked me a question in which they were pondering, what do you think in 50 years time, people will say, you were around there, Tim. Why didn't you say something? Daddy, why didn't you do something? Uncle, why didn't you get involved? What are the issues today that generations beyond us will look back and shudder and say, how did the Christians put up with it? Jesus is Lord. The name above every name. 